Today's reading is Psalm 32. It can be found on page 514 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me, please? Our God of grace... As we come into this room together, we ask that you join us and that you use this time now as we listen to your word and as we attempt to listen to you, would you use it to shape our lives and to show us yourself and to show us that you are helpful in our journeys. Whether we come with great faith or great skepticism, great hurt or great joy, uh, the truth is we're all in the same boat and we're more of a mess and more broken than we care to admit to each other. And um, your promise continues to come to us over and over again that we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined because of your grace uh, that pursues us in our mess. So pursue us now and teach us through your love. Amen. Paula Houston, in her book, uh, Simplifying the Soul, Lenten Practices to Renew Your Spirit. I've been stealing a lot of quotes out of it for the season of Lent that we're in as we're doing the Retro God series, classic practices that, uh, that we can bring back, uh, such as today's apologizing. She gives us a great example of the dynamic of apologizing, forgiving. She says, when I was still teaching at the university, I wound up on a committee with an energetic young associate professor. One day she called and asked if I would meet with her in her office. Frank, the lecturer who shared her space, was hard at work at his desk grading papers and barely greeted me when I came in. Esther, on the other hand, was fired up, ready to tackle the latest challenge confronting our committee. Uh, and she was sure we'd be victorious this time. So, or soon, she got, she got me so wound up that we were laughing out loud. Suddenly, Frank stood up, slammed his notebook against the desk, and yelled, How am I supposed to accomplish anything with you two women cackling your heads off? Then he stomped out, out of the door. Stunned, Esther and I stared at each other. I felt terrible. We'd been disrespectful. 
But she was enraged. How dare he, she, had, she said. This is my office too. I can say or do whatever I want in here. He's only acting this way because we're women. Very quickly, I found myself swept up in a controversy that pulled in our department head, our dean, and finally the union. Frank had been disrespected, and for him it was clearly an issue of class. Esther had been disrespected, and for her it was just as clearly an issue of gender. It was up to me to testify to the truth, but the more dramatic things became, the less I wanted to be involved. Actually, I thought they were both being uh, petty and egotistical, and that they needed to apologize to one another and move on. When I finally made this suggestion, both Esther and Frank became even angrier, this time at me. Soon, I began to feel uncomfortable walking the hallways. What if I bumped into one of them? I found myself avoiding certain buildings, skipping committee meetings, and grading my papers at the library downtown. Their mutual hostility might indeed be silly and egotistical, I thought, but it had poisoned the whole environment for me. She says, if one purpose of forgiving is to diffuse dangerous building anger, then this is not a, a difficult question. The loving thing to do, regardless of your seeming lack of culpability, is to help others return to their senses. But in fact, we often are at fault. We often are at fault, even when we believe ourselves to be innocent. In my case, one thing I did, not, I did need to apologize for was my contemptuous scoffing. Though I'd never said it out loud, their battle seemed absurd to me, and no doubt they'd picked up on this through my body language and tone of voice. She eventually says, Clearly my thinly veiled contempt uh, had been noticed, and it had hurt them. In the end, it did not matter whether they were right or wrong, noble or crass. They both believed they were fighting the good fight, and I had let them know in a hundred subtle ways that I thought they were being fools. So what an astonishing thing she's doing, really, is she's, she has every out in the world to put herself outside of the guilt and outside of anything that's wrong with the situation. She has every reason in the world. And yet something in Paula Houston uh, kind of drives her back in to investigate what maybe is there in that in there somewhere that I have to look at, that I have to own, that I even might have to apologize for. Um, and I notice she didn't really tell us if she ever actually went and apologized for that thing she noticed. So I um, thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but basically this is, this is the dramatic place that a Christian, that the Christian faith can have you ending up with the issue of apologizing and forgiving. Really the interplay that involves forgiveness and reconciliation. You can end up in a place that's very strange with respect to how, you know, if she was to tell that story to her friends, no one would predict that she ends up, the end of the story is her saying, yeah, but I really looked at it and I have these subtle things I was doing in the midst of it that I have to own. That's unusual. That's, something's going on where she feels this extra pull to look at her role in it to, and to know, she knows the power and the need, maybe the power of apologizing, which is really it's really losing steam in terms of a, any kind of value in our life culturally. So we're going to look at Psalm 32 as interpreted by a little phrase that we say in the Lord's Prayer and that's found in Colossians 3. We read Colossians 3 last week and it took a lot of inner strength not to kind of preach this sermon as well last week because this was right in the middle of it. We talked about patience last week or long-suffering. But it says right in the middle of that text, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
That's the, that's the dynamic that we're looking at as we look at, at Psalm 32. And we have some things, some, like the framework of this is there's one option God always takes, there's two options every human has, and there's four options every Christian has. So that's the framework of how we're looking at this. So as you, first of all, the one option God always takes. As you look at Psalm 23 and you, and you read it, the question is, what is never in question as we read this psalm? What in this psalm goes, it's a psalm of confession, you know, kind of back and forth, sorting out, do I confess and what will happen if I do? What is never in question, what is never in doubt, what completely goes without saying? That, yeah, yeah this doesn't have to be a monologue. What was that? A relationship with him? Yeah? God's, yeah, yeah. God's love and forgiveness. Never in this is there a question of, I wonder if, if I do finally confess, if there, the forgiveness is just right there. The relationship, the, the natural forgiving kind of dynamic in the relationship is there. It's, it goes totally without um, being doubted or questioned by the psalmist. The inner struggle is more just, will I open the door to that? It's as if God's forgiveness in our life and in our relationship with God is like a, some kind of spring-loaded mechanism that never breaks down. It's always ready to kind of deliver that forgiveness. It's just ready whenever you are. Um, it's, it's like a disposition God has chosen, or maybe just part of his nature. He, he can't help but choose to have this fixed disposition of forgiveness. He's got a determined posture towards you. And just really think, does that match with the picture you have of God in your life as you struggle, as you find yourself in places you wish you weren't, as you find yourself reacting in ways you wish you didn't to things coming your way and other people's wrongdoing? Do you have that kind of confidence that you, turning to God will provide this sort of constant, determined, fixed posture of forgiveness? That's what um, you see at most in verse 10 when it says, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust him. It's called unfailing, unfailing love. It never fails. It's always there. great picture of this is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where um, we... We see our forgiver portrayed as one who's constantly knocking on our door, waiting for us to answer. I love that picture. So it says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. This is a, this is a dramatic picture to consider in our lives, that this is the forgiveness, the, the forgiver, Jesus Christ, is at the door of your life, knocking constantly, just ready, always ready. Um, and we're, unfortunately, we're kind of like, I'm sure maybe you've had somebody in your life like this before where you're trying to get a hold of them and you try and you try and they never return your calls and eventually you just think, maybe I'll even be really extreme and go down to their house and knock on their door. <laughs> you know, That's kind of like what all of us are with respect to God. It's like if God, if, if uh, you had someone in your life who was as hard to get a hold of as you are for God to get a hold of, you would give up on the relationship long ago, but God doesn't. He's always ready. He's always knocking. So where do we find ourselves? We find that we've, we've, we have the music and noise of our life turned up so loud we don't even hear the knocking. We start to store stuff over in that side of the room where the door is. We, we, we don't linger over there very much and we're way over in other places. Um... But when you do answer the door, 
when you begin to get more and more of a sense of the, dyna- the dramatic dynamic of forgiveness that Psalm 32 is encouraging us to embrace, you realize that apology and confession in our relationship with God is what opens that door. So you go to the door, if you, and if you experience the readiness that God is, has to forgive you and to be gracious to you, the more, you'll get, the more you're ready to go to the, the door and open it. And in a sense, the implications of understanding that with God is that more and more you, um, you start to find ways to move the clutter away from the door. You start to think of concrete ways to linger in that area more often so that you're closer, so that you're ready. You start to look for ways to l- learn the sound of the forgiver's knock. What does that sound like? Those are, and you can begin to kind of put some specifics to that probably in your life. I can think of, of ways that we at City Life try to do things like community pods and we have weekly worship and we talk about things you can take home and ways you can read scripture. All of those are part of that positioning your life by that door. It actually, you know, the more your life is there, the more you be- start to believe in the graciousness and forgiveness of the one who's ready at the ready all the time. So that's the one option God always takes. And if you start to experience that option, it starts to lead to what we're going to talk about now, the two options that every human has. Because if you look at the psalm, really, Psalm 32, it doesn't, it, it intersperses these two things, but they're there. In the middle, in the midst of this psalm are two possibilities. And if, you know, I'm going to do something a little bit unnatural because they're very organically together. But if you separate them out, you, you see the stark difference between the option of being an apologizer with God and an avoider. So we see that the apologizer, first of all, in verse 1, experiences blessing. The avoider experiences, in verse um, 10, many woes. Blessing of forgiveness and many woes in the life of the avoider. The apologizer is, this is interesting, the apologizer is uncovering the sin in their life in verse 5. Um, the avoider is hiding, in a sense, covering by being silent in verse 3. And in another way, both of them are covered. The, um, the apologizer uh, in verse 1 uncovers their own sin, and, but then the, in verse 4, the avoider finds God's heavy hand covering you know, over them, over everything as they avoid. And then um, you see in verse 8, there's the option of the apologizer who is learning the good path from God, takes on instruction easily. The avoider is described like a horse who has to be, you know, very different from taking on instruction and finding a new path. A horse who at every turn has to be forced to go the right way. And then my favorite is how... uh, how these two kind of, what I think the the climax of it is that the avoider in verse 3 is groaning. Isn't that a great image of where you end up if you're avoiding processing your guilt, avoiding grabbing hold of the forgiveness offered to you, that there's just a a sense of a groaning to your life, verse 3. And the apologizer in verse 7 and 11, singing songs of deliverance. It's really just a, pa- a, a basic picture of something that you can even see experientially. 
there's a way in which we know if you think about something you held on to way too long or maybe you're still holding on to that you haven't believed in the power of taking that to the for, forgiveness kind of quadrant of life, kind of dealing, get it, getting it dealt with with an eager apology and eager forgiveness, it, there's, there's a burden that develops. There's a heaviness. There's a sense of life's waves crashing at you because you just are hanging on. It corrodes. It kind of, kind of rusts. It doesn't go away. In fact, we were talking at the community pod this week, and, and a story came up of, of like three people, and person A and person B are both wronged by person three. Uh, uh, person, did I say A, B, and three? Did I just do, really do that? Um, per, so person, person A and person B are ro- both wronged by person C. You know, kinda Over a period of time, they both had experience with this person. One of them just gets tired of hanging on to it and realizes, I think I just need to proactively go and, and get forgiveness, or forgive proactively and the other one just hangs on to it and doesn't and so you know as they still get together that 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 third party still comes up and it's for the one person it's bitter and for the other person it's just kind of you know it's done the power of of these two paths that are displayed here that's exactly the picture psalm 32 gives it plays out in our lives and then thirdly the four options every christian has and all four are valid um, to get into this, just think, if, if you're a Christian, think about these two options. Do you have at the center of your life your morality and your religious effort? Or do you have at the center of your relationship with God, God's forgiveness? Which one? Because you, you can't have one and have the other at the same time as primary. You have, so if you have your morality and your religious effort at the center of your relationship with God what actually ends up happening is that you can be terrible at reconciliation in your relationships. There's a sense in which, think about how this works. If, if your religious effort and your good deeds are at the center of your relationship with God, then your gold standard for um, how you are, in a sense, saved, how you feel good about yourself, is that you're a good person. And so there's a funny way that you can, you can be someone who's has all this religious effort, but it's as if you're surprised every time wrongdoing comes your way from someone else. There's a, maybe you, you know someone like this. Who, all they can talk about is church. It seems like they spend all their time in the Bible. All they can talk about is God. But then if you get to know them, you look at their life, and, and all their relationships are just, you know, just wreckage after wreckage in their wake. There's a sense in which uh, you, you can almost hide from all those issues by putting religious effort at the center. We can be naive to the wrongdoing that's going to come our way. And I would say, if you're a Christian, uh, don't be naive about the amount of wrongdoing that's going to come your way in your life. And the way, in a sense, the way to not be naive about it and to be ready for it is to be in practice with the forgiveness interplay with God. And to be in practice doing the forgiveness interplay with your neighbor, with others, with people at work, with people at school, with people, with your family, in your community pod. And then you'll be ready for this. You'll be, if, you're, if you're practicing the, the muscle of eager apology, eager forgiveness in ways in your life, you might begin to progress through these four options or phases or really their concentration levels. How concentrated is forgiveness in your life? So, kind of option one, 
you prioritize reconciliation enough to get along and forget it after a big angry blow up where people were hurt and words and actions were said that shouldn't have been said and done. But you, you forget about it. You get over it. I mean, after all, uh, you know, you really don't want to be out of sorts with this person and there's no real easy option other than staying together. So someone says apologize and the, I apologize and the other person says it's okay. So that's sort of entry level. I mean, that's good. There's, there can be true reconciliation. There can be true f- kind of forgiveness that happens in that. Maybe it's not really nuanced. Maybe it's not super deep. You know, apologize can be sort of a, an easy cover and it's okay, can not necessarily acknowledge the hurt, but it's a gesture that is believed in and it's an entry point for forgiveness. Okay, so then option two, if you prioritize reconciliation a little more, then after great hurt has been inflicted by words and actions, when you are confronted with that hurt in one way or another, you eventually acknowledge it and then the beautiful interplay of apology and forgiveness takes place. And then the third one, you prioritize reconciliation a little more still so that when great hurt is being inflicted out of anger that seems perfectly justified, you actually dial back your words and actions. You acknowledge to yourself that you'll probably have to reconcile anyway because that's a part of your, that muscle is stronger in your life. And you know, you know where this usually ends up is reconciling. So you know you're going to have to uh, reconcile anyway, and while, the, while you're still angry, you begin to apologize and see things through the other person's perspective. And so with less hurt inflicted, inflicted than could have been, the beautiful exchange of apology and forgiveness then takes place. And now fourth, this prioritizing reconciliation in a sort of Christ-like, God-like, perfect way, um, you pray in advance of human interactions that you might not judge the other but see things through their eyes and thus avoid their hurt and your hurt, their anger and your anger, and all the apologies involved. You avoid that in the first place, and you stay united to that person in an unbroken and beautiful way. That's sort of like high-octane Christian forgiveness. In fact, um, there's an old saying from uh, the Desert Fathers where an elder gives the following advice. He says, when you perceive that visitors are coming to visit you, and this is kind of that fourth concentration level of forgiveness. When you perceive that visitors are coming to visit you, before they knock on your door, pray these words to God. O Lord, protect all of us from judgment and from evil tongues that my brothers might depart this place in peace and gratified. Um part of my smile as I read this is just I know how far off the map that is for most of us most of the time but just imagine you know you're heading back home for spring break and you know all that stuff's going to come up and you're going to see you know who and and this person and imagine you know praying in advance that you would have a way of just um, things bouncing off that you could be gracious that you could avoid getting you know praying in advance um, you know, your in-laws are going to come over and stay for a week, you know, and the, the idea that you'd be in prayer that, you know, or you're out going to work, and you're on your way to work, and you're like, oh, and, and, and there's a prayer like this. Keep me from judgment. Help me to see, you know, help, help me to be gracious kind of proactively. It's a sort of almost proactive forgiveness. God, I have a meeting with you-know-who in an hour, and oh, it's going to be exhausting and just so annoying and just that sort of 
proactive, help me to not even have anything at the end of that that I have to feel like I subtly <laughs> let them know that they were a fool, you know, like, like Paula Houston said at the beginning. This is, you know, this is, this is Christianity at its best, I feel like. Um, and you can't produce it on your own. And I, like all those four options are valid ones. I think part of growing in forgiveness is growing and some, being somewhere in that mixture and exercising your muscles of forgiveness. Um, you can't do it on your own. You can't produce it on your own. You can't just go, oh, today, this week I'm going to try to be more forgiving. You actually have to be opening the door to God's forgiveness in your life every day and positioning yourself closer to that door and in a sense praying for the, your own forgiveness. God, help me to be wrapped up every day in your forgiveness. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you make us into forgiving souls who know your forgiveness. We need your help, so send your Holy Spirit to turn us into these kinds of people. And if we're looking at things right now and we're saying we are not even on the, we're not even into those four options, we're so angry about something, um, would you just give us the, the strength or the insight or the inspiration to have an ounce of courage to step in the direction of forgiveness in uh, whatever's bothering us today? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.